episode 62 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson, and today we are going back into the woods with Andrea Billups, journalist, professor Andrea Billups, and she is most certainly an extended experiencer of the Sasquatch and paranormal world, and it's going to be a fantastic interview for y'all to listen to. An amazing interview. So that's coming up. Hey, in this world of virtual reality where you're washing your hands before and after every loved one, these small town businesses online need your help, including, you know it, Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N at Etsy.com. You have to go onto Etsy and type in Feral by Aaron to see these museum quality alchemy sound tools. Feral by Aaron. All right, we'll be right back with Andrea Billups. Andrea Billups, well known journalist, online writer for People Magazine. Journalist for the Washington Times, professor at Western Kentucky University, and an extended experiencer of the Sasquatch world, a very weird, amazing world of the Sasquatch people. Anyway, Andrea is our guest today, and as a journalist, you might imagine, well, I did one approach, maybe just the facts, ma'am, pad of paper, pen, recorder going, trying to figure out this conundrum inside of an enigma, but that's not the case. It's quite a surprise, really, how Andrea is looking into this whole thing, and she's getting results. So, my conversation with Andrea Billups, and her life as an extended experiencer. Hello, Andrea Billups. Thanks for calling into the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, it's been a while, not too long, maybe about 13, 14 months uh, since Andrea and I first had our first interview. And I thought it'd be good to check in again with you regarding where things have left off regarding your extended experiences in the world of Sasquatch, which is something that you're very familiar with but you've definitely had some interesting things happen along the way in those last 13, 14 months. But kind of remind people about your story, Andrea, and your relationship to being an extended experiencer, and we'll just move forward from there. Sure. Well, I would say six or seven years ago is when it all started for me. Um, We lived in Michigan. We owned a home, um, bought a home sort of on the edge of an extended forest. Um, The back of our home was modern and it was all glass. And we looked into the woods and um, I would run and walk into a trail system there, a miles long trail system almost every day. And strange things started to happen to me as they do to a lot of people. Um, But I really understand what I was dealing with. Um, I'm a journalist. I am curious by nature, and I always tell my students, if you want to know something, you should go see for yourself. You shouldn't let someone tell you. You should figure that out. And so 
I did go connect. I, I think I talked to you. I connected with um, Dr. Matthew Johnson. I went out to camp with him in Oregon and had some initial amazing experiences there. Um, did some hiking and camping in Washington State and came back to Michigan. And that's where things got a little crazy in my woods. Um, and soon I had my first um, daylight sighting. And um, after that, um, things really shifted for me. And I felt like that um, I began to interact there. And I don't know how much more ground you want me to cover, but let me know. Okay. So the initial daylight sighting that you had, describe yes. that for folks. Sure. Um, I used to come out to an area of the forest. Um, this, these are mature hardwoods, but there's an area where there was a giant pine stand. And I joked a long, long time that it, it creeped me out to go in there. Every, every time that I would get close to this area of the woods, it's about a mile and a half from uh, the trailhead, um, I would just get spooked out. It, I would get visceral reaction. You know, the hair would stand up on my arms. I, I had a couple of incidents where I would walk toward there. I felt like I lost time. Um, and I, I finally pushed past my fear and I found this place, a really beautiful opening where there was a tree that had been hit by lightning and I called it my angel tree. And it, it looks like, um, a person standing there with outstretched arms. The top of it was knocked off by lightning. And I used to go out there at least three or four times a week and I would meditate and sit with my tree. I, sometimes I'd take a little pocket. Bible and I would read and I would just hang out out there alone um, as a part of my fitness. You know, I would stop there and meditate. And um, after I came back from visiting Oregon and and I came back a knower for sure, um, I became more cognizant of things that were going on around me in that forest. And one day I was sitting out there and I spoke to them forest people in my head. And I said, if you're real, then show yourself. Um, I feel like you're all around me and I feel like you're communicating with me. And I'd been gifting out there and um, nothing happened. And I got up and started to walk back to the trailhead. And I looked to my left and there, not notably because the trees were green and what I saw running was red. And I saw fur flying and something going through the forest like a jet aircraft. I mean, my experience is no different than most people. But whatever I saw um, had hair that, that draped in, as it hit the wind. And it jetted across the way and then dropped down. And I, I now know where it dropped down. There's a, a gully that's maybe five and a half or six feet where, where the trail sort of scoops down. But it was running and I was, you know, like everybody else, holy crap, what did I just see? And, you know, um, your my curiosity hit me first before the fight or flight mechanism kicked in. And I started to walk down the trail toward it. And things were absolutely silent out there, um, just utterly silent. And this was in the middle of the afternoon. And again, I was alone. I had my phone and a Bible and there was no one around. And I walked maybe 15 or 20 yards and then it hit me. I am alone in the forest, my, more than a mile from even a trailhead. And I don't know what I just saw. And I, my breath was taken away. And then I began to just be afraid. I started checking myself. What's around me, you know, is 
what did I see? And, you know, your head sort of puts you in that space. Did I see a, a, a squirrel? Did I see a fox? But I, I knew rationally that whatever I saw seemed to hit me at eye level and I'm about five foot three. And, um, then I got really afraid and I turned around and I'm not a runner, but I ran and I ran out of that pine stand and across a marsh and up a hill till I ran till I couldn't breathe and I had to stop. And I sat down on a log and tried to process what was going on, tried to catch my breath. And maybe two or three minutes after that, I looked across the way and this is kind of a rolling landscape and a log got dropped out of the top of a tree, maybe from about 80 feet high. This this log, um, maybe maybe it was three and a half feet long, looked like someone just stuck their arms out and dropped it. And, and I watched it fall and I heard it smash the ground. And that really scared the crap out of me. And I stood up and I took off and I ran all the way back to the trailhead. And I'm not a runner. And I after I got it out of there, I just really needed to process what what had happened to me. And I think the log was related to the sighting. I think it was sort of a sign off to say, yep, you saw what you thought you saw. And we're here and we know who you are. You're here in this forest every day. Deal with it. But it took me a while, you know, just like everybody to try to process that. And then after that, uh, the interactions just kind of got crazy. All right. Well, there's a lot there. Describe crazy. Um, so things started appearing on the back porch of my home. Um, plastic toys, um, mice. Um, one day I came home after walking and there was one giant maple leaf that had been shoved into the door handle. Um, one day I woke up and our home um, abutted kind of a marshland, meaning you could only walk out maybe 60 yards and then you couldn't walk at all because it was just cattails and no homes behind us or anything. And then if you looked a little to the left, you were in the dead forest. The back sort of on the right on the edge of that marsh, there was this big vine weaving that just sort of appeared in the trees there. I mean, it was ornate and it may have been two and a half feet wide, just just vines. And I thought, wow, that could not have, have happened before. And then I started having things happen to um, my dog. I had a, a large lab, Labby Sue, and she would, every night she would go out on the porch and she would just stand and she would look in the same direction and just, she didn't bark and she didn't growl. She just stared like completely still. And um, she would sometimes go out to do her walk at night and she wouldn't come back for a while. And um, I started to wonder, where is she going? Where is she going? And there was at the back of our property kind of a gully that shot down about four feet. Um, I later thought about this is a great hiding place that anything in the dark and there were there were no lights out there, nothing, anything could sit there and watch us because we didn't really have um, a whole lot of window coverings on the back of our house. We had floor to ceiling glass upstairs and downstairs. So anything in the woods could watch us. Um, and we, we loved that, you know, the natural world that was out there. But, um, you know, our dog had a lot of free space to roam and she would just disappear and come back and um, be very happy. I, and I need to say too that our dog um, had 
epilepsy, idiopathic epilepsy, and she took medications that impacted her central nervous system. And um, this made her kind of walk funny and run funny sometimes. And um, after having sort of these interaction experiences, um, you know, all the other things that people would describe, the the whoops, the wood knocking, just the feeling of your being watched. Um, I had a friend of mine, um, a good friend still, his name is Timothy Collins, and he lived in another area of Detroit. Uh, and he said, you should talk to my friend Robin. Um, she might be able to help you. And I was like, oh, sure. Um, I didn't really know Robin. And he's like, no, she she sees things and understands things. And I, I want you to just tell her what's been going on in, in your universe. And so one night I, I called her and it was kind of a, a miraculous and odd conversation, but it kind of went like this. So she was very reassuring and she said, do you have a dog? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, does your dog walk funny? And I said, at first I said, no, no, she's fine. And then um, I said, well, yes, she walks funny. She has epilepsy and sometimes her medication messes her up. And she said, does your dog ever disappear? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, they're healing. They're trying to heal your dog. They say they're trying to heal, heal your dog. And um, she's like, is your dog afraid? And I'm like, no. She comes back really happy in, in the middle of the darkness. And she's like, yeah. Um, she goes, I, I'm just going to tell you some things and just accept them or don't accept them. But this is what I know. And she's like, you have a clan of people who live in your forest. And um, one of them is a little girl and she watches you. Um, she gave me a name of this person. And she's like, she's fascinated. And she says to tell you that she loves your blonde hair. And that really chilled me because Robin lived in northern Michigan and I've never seen her before. I did not know her before. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, she's been watching you for years. She follows you through the woods. And I'm like, oh, okay. And she proceeded to talk to me a little bit about this clan, that this family of this little girl. And then she told me something really bizarre. She she asked me, she said, um, she says to tell you that she, she likes your red rocking chair. And I said, I don't have a red rocking chair. And she's like, no, she's insistent. She loves it. She thinks it's beautiful. And I was like, I, I, I'm not sure I understand. And Robin said, well, think about it. Just think about it. And um, I thought about it. And beside our bedroom downstairs in a room that opens up glass to the woods, is my office and it's a very long and narrow room. And at the very, very back of this room sat a red velveteen rocking chair and stool. That was a gift from my partner's mother, an antique chair. I didn't ever use this chair really. I never sat in it. And you would have to press your face to the glass and look way, way back, like, you know, a good 15 feet back into this room to even see this chair. And then I was super freaked out because um, who would know that? No one ever comes in my office. I don't, I really have people down there. And she's describing something about this young girl, forest person who likes my chair. And I was like, have I really been followed? I mean, that was just 
unfathomable to me. But I mean, how would anyone put those things together about my dog and this chair and our house? And uh, things continued. And I, uh, my friend Timothy came down and he visited the forest with me. And um, he explained a few things to me about his experiences. And um, I, I felt like that uh, I had a whole new appreciation to what was going on out there. And I don't know if you want me to stop or you want to ask me anything, but um, things really changed after that too. And they got more intense. No, you know, once in a while you get a guest on here and you just want to shut up and uh, let them go for it. In your okay. case, I, I really want to shut up and just let you go for it. So okay. you've got All so right. much to give. Let me, well, let me ask one question here because sure. I, I'm dying to know things about Robin. Um, Robin's experience with the Sasquatch world. Was she describing in her terms a Sasquatch uh, was she going into detail about uh, the appearance of the female or the little girl? What, what kind of details did she gleam? She used words like clan, which are words that we'd probably be familiar with. But um, yes. what kind of details did she describe? Well, she said she was a young girl, really young. And she was a part of a family of at least eight people who lived out there. She told me things about this girl's parents. Uh, a father and a mother, South, that lived out there. Um, she named them. She named brothers and other family members who were there. Um, she talked about their presence in this woods. She she kind of tied some things back together for me about my fears about going in this certain area of the forest. Um, I've taken other people to this area of the forest who've also had real visceral energy responses. To this area, but she said that they live out there and that the ground where I found this angel tree that I love so much um, is kind of a meeting place. It's very special and sacred to them. And um, they sort of found me and I sort of found them there. You know, um, I had done things out there like I had gifted like apples and like peanut butter. And I had the, the things happen to me that other people had happened. I mean, the jar would be taken and returned and it would be returned clean along with the lid um, opened. Um, and, and back in the same spot, I once went out there and left some apples and I walked past it and went several miles along the trail and came back. And there was one lone apple sitting on the log where I left it that had teeth mark bite in it. And it wasn't even brown. It's like, it's like someone knew I was coming back and just left it here for me. And I was, you know, obviously shocked and floored. I mean, I took a picture of it. It wasn't even brown. Somebody with small teeth had, had, had bitten into this. Like you and I would bite into an apple and left it there, one. And I mean, you know, the, that weirdness went on out there. So um, my friend, Timothy, I've only taken really two people out there to my woods. I'm very protective of this area. One is Tim and the other is Jim. And my friend Tim, um, both of them have, are knowers and experiencers, but my friend Tim um, is creative. He used to be a designer for Ford Motor Company and he makes things and he made a grass doll for me. And he said, I said, I want to gift this out there. I want to gift this to my little girl. And um, 
So me, he, and Jim went out there and, you know, Michigan is cold in the winter, but we left this doll about as far as Jim could reach over his head. So Jim is six foot two, I think. So as far as he could reach, we left it up in the, in the crook of, of this angel tree in the very back of it and sort of hidden up there. And um, it disappeared. And of course, anyone could have taken that, you know, we know that, but um, we're like, well, we'll just see what happens. And um, in the years to pass, this is about four years ago. So two years ago, Tim and Jim and I met for Christmas and we went on a walk in the forest and there was lots of snow and we came back and we found a trackway and uh, in, in an area of the woods far from my angel tree, but we found this trackway that came up over the hill, crossed a trail, then went up the hill and then continued forward. And um, we were all really, obviously like everyone is, you, you get stunned when you see a consistent trackway, but we thought that was cool. Um, a year passes, we all meet again for Christmas. We go out to walk in the forest, there's snow on the ground. And before we leave, we find a second trackway. At two years in a row, at the same time of the year, this one in a different place, but um, this one had a very odd foot anomaly. The, the right foot of it had like a toe splay on the right. And in both of these trackways, you know, they, we followed them for a time, we measured the stride and all of that, and then they just disappeared out there, suddenly no space. But um, I moved away from there um, to go teach in Florida. And um, we eventually sold our house out there. And so this past December, um, my partner, Steve and I, we went back to Michigan to visit. And um, I got Tim and Jim together and I said, hey, let's just go out to the woods for old time's sake and let's walk and, on the trails and see what we see. And we weren't sure what would happen out there. And the wildest thing happened to us. So we, we walked to the angel tree. We look at it. We, we walk behind it. And there in the back of it on the ground is that doll. Four years later. And... Um, I'd, I think you could have knocked us over with a, you know, with a feather. We were just stunned. And what was unique about it was that um, it was in really good shape. Like it was weathered, you know, but it wasn't wet and, and there was a ton of snow on the ground. It wasn't all twisted and torn apart. It was just there. And the fact that it was there for us when we came out there, I mean, that's beyond bizarre. We're still not, we're still not over it. Um, we, we took the doll and we left some, uh, some stones out there, some pretty stones and buried them in the tree area. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But so this is just kind of a magical, it's been like a magical place for me, but, um, you know, I've had significant things happen to me that have been related to that experience there that get even weirder. And, um, you know, it's hard to talk about them um, because it makes you sound nuts to a greater population for people who are interested in the things I think we're interested in. It's probably not nuts at all, but I mean, um, this young Sasquatch, this young girl um, communicates with me and she has for a long time and um, 
she talks to me and some of her clan have also talked to me very intermittently. They've talked to me and um, she's grown up. She now sounds different than she did in the beginning. And um, it's been a very fascinating, odd journey. And again, hard to talk about because um, I know other people have had these experiences, but I live in a fairly literal world. I have a pretty mainstream life. I am not into a whole lot of hoodoo voodoo, but I'm also old enough to be honest with what has happened to me. And um, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm pretty rational. And this continues to happen to me. There are things talking to me and knocking on my door. And um, they continue state to state to state. And um, I, you know, now I consider them a blessing and I'm okay with them. Um, I, I feel good about my experiences and I still don't understand all of them. But, um, you know, it sort of all started there in that forest in Michigan for me. And it's, it's a very special place. Yeah, I can see why. Now, you mentioned uh, so many things that we've mentioned before over and over on the show. Um, lots of little small details, which I think are really encouraging for mm-hmm. anybody that's trying to snuff out the difference between fact and fiction. Um, this idea of synchronicity, why don't you speak about that? Because uh, you mentioned a couple moments. When the apple was left for you, it had no age in the bite marks, it was almost like it was done very recently, right before you came, the trackway that you found on or around an anniversary in the same area. Another little bit of what I would call synchronicity. Talk about your relationship with synchronicity and how it relates to the phenomena here. What do you think is going on? Well, you know, I'm... I'm a skeptic because I'm a journalist we're, by, by, by our profession. We're encouraged to be curious and skeptical of things people tell us. And I would say that, you know, as a journalist of 30 years, I, I always sort of try to look at all aspects or sides of things. Um, how could this have happened? What would this mean? And so it's, it's required a suspension of um, a lot of things for me, but I believe that all of these things are simply confirmations that what is going on with me, what I've experienced are true and real, that there are beings out there um, who know me and um, know us. They know who Tim and Jim are. Um, and they, they want to acknowledge that they are around us and care about us, like us. Um, and in that way, you know, it's it's very, it's not scary energy anymore. It's loving energy, I would say. I feel very connected to what is out there. And again, I'm sure to my greater friend group and to other people who are not in this, it sounds absolutely crazy. But I have since lived in two places. I've lived in Florida where I've had interaction experiences. Um, I have lived... I'm living now in Kentucky, and I have had um, experiences out here that are very paranormal, I guess you might call them. I don't even know what the right word would be, but I'll tell you that I I do think they are synchronicities. And I think that us, imagine finding a doll four years later. I mean, it's almost like 
you're back. We, we, we know you're back and we're, we're going to let you know, hi guys, you know, and I mean, that's very meaningful to us. Um, in this space in the forest, I've, I've had a human voice say something to me. Um, I've seen all of the strangeness that people talk about, the floating plasma, the flickering lights, um, the orbs, things going on um, out there that are unusual. Um, I didn't tell you before, but by this angel tree, one year after I first sort of oriented out there, um, I came out to the angel tree and behind it, there was another tree that had been felled by lightning. And suddenly there was a nest that had been built around this tree. And it was enormous. I, I stopped counting after 60 um, branches, after I counted 60 branches that had been shoved in this nest. It was so tall that I'm 5'3", and that I could almost walk into it, under it. It was right there, like in, in that angel tree area. and. For two weeks, it stayed there, and then suddenly, it just started to disappear. It, it was done, and um, now you couldn't tell it was ever there. Um, what was that about? I mean, again, I think it is a confirmation, and synchronicity is a, is a great word. Um, I feel like that everywhere I go, that I'm being reminded of, of some people who are out there and their abilities. Um, so I'll tell you a story. Um, I have a friend, Daniel. He's a retired physician, and he came to visit me uh, a few weeks ago from Iowa, and he was coming through town, and we went um, near here, um, up near Mammoth Caves um, National Park, and I had been hiking up there a whole lot and had some strange things go on. Um, very first time that I went in there, um, to hike, you know, got the whole wood knock situation and the howls and what have you. And I had to giggle, you know, I'm like, um, here I am in one more state where the same thing is happening. But Daniel and I went up there, um, late at night, about midnight and it was freezing. And we went down a trail, a known trailhead. This is a, you know, massive national park. But it was night. We went down a trailhead and got really creeped out and decided we would just sit out there for a couple hours and see what happened. And um, here we go again. We started to see light flickers. We started to see orbs. We um, had a really unusual moment where the floor of the forest just started to illuminate, like the light shifted and it almost looked iridescent there. And here again, we are, you know, in a random place and a random night just being there. And we both, you know, had to giggle because I felt like, again, um, people were communicating with us out there and it was very um, overt. The communication was very overt. And so um, that's just another mo more recent kind of engagement that's happened to me. I don't even know how to describe these things. They just keep hurrying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're beautiful. I mean, when you're describing something like this, uh, it's such theater of the mind and you're entered into this 
picturesque fantasy land that is a reality and it's very difficult to you know pull yourself out of it i mean you're reliving these moments here over this podcast with us i've never had in a you know inexplicable moment like illuminating a forest floor but um you hear these stories and uh you know you kind of cross your fingers that your days coming upon you i, I wanted to ask you real quick uh, about this grass sure. grass doll because that's that's really interesting now did you say that was four years that it had been gone Yes. And the amount of wear and tear that was on the doll, explain the difference for people between something that disappeared and maybe slid under a branch and, you know, was slightly protected from the weather, even though it was Michigan where it snows, um, and the difference with what you found. Sure. So, So Tim is really artistic and he took like grass. And while it was supple and moist, he shaped it into a doll that's maybe, I don't know, one and a half feet tall, like a doll with a head and arms and legs. It looked, yeah, it looked, it looked like a, like a very crude sort of doll. Um, he's, he's really crafty and he, he tied it up. He it had um, pink colored string on it because pink is my favorite color. And he just made that for me. And, um, <clears throat> He, so we put it up really high, but I, th- I think you have to understand and appreciate the elements of Michigan. I mean, it is freezing there. It rains a lot. Um, something like that, had it been out in an element, is not going to last. And I don't know what would happen to it, even if it were under a log or what have you. It, it, this doll looked looked weathered. It, it had definitely dried out. The pink string on it was super, super faded, but it was still tied together. Like it wasn't all smushed. It didn't look like someone had sat on it. It looked like someone had tried to take care of it for the most part. It still had its shape and all of that. Um, but it, we were, we marveled at the fact that we sort of smushed it and it wasn't, wasn't damp. And again, there was tons of snow on the ground out there. It was probably, I don't know, 18 degrees. And I mean, it gets sub-zero there in this forest. So wherever it had been, it had been protected. I mean, it just, you know, it didn't look like it had been in someone's house for four years, but it looked like it had been saved, I guess. Yeah. Right. And you often wonder if there's some big goodwill underground that they take all these little objects to and uh, and house them or some kind of Sasquatch uh, vault. Uh, and um, looking into more details about this grass doll because I haven't heard all the details. I only know a tidbit of this story. But uh, how close did you examine the doll when you got it back? Did you notice uh, perhaps moss or anything dried upon it? Did it look like maybe it had hair within it? Um, were there parts of it that were slightly changed or added to it? it? It looked very much like the original doll. We, Jim, one of us, took it home and we examined it for hair. We were out outside and cold, but we took it. And Jim still has it. I can send you some pictures so you can see what this looked like. We, we took them right there at the tree so you could see where it was placed because we were so stunned. But I mean, there were no, there was not moss on it, 
No, there were no, there's no dirt or plant matter on it. It was dried, you know, um, but pretty, pretty intact for, for what it was. It looked still the same. And um, I don't think that we found hairs on it per se. Um, it just, what was notable is that it was in the back of the tree. It was up, wasn't up high. It was, it was in the kind of lower part of the tree um, down at the base. It, it, this tree had been hit by lightning and the, it has, it's starting to weather and come apart. And the very back side of it is kind of open and the front of it is round like a tree would look. But you go to the back of it and it's more exposed. And uh, the, this doll was back up into sort of near the bottom of the tree, like, like someone had placed it there, which is just strange. I mean, it, it wasn't random. Mm. Someone had placed it there. And there's no way that you guys could have missed it upon your initial inspection four years earlier. It was... Well, we put it there. We mm. put it up high four years ago, right. but way, way, way up in the top of that. And so, um, and and I went back there and I know some something, someone took it mm. after that. And um, I know that I had visited the tree before and it had not been there. Mm. But then after after moving away, us coming back out there together, I hadn't seen these guys for almost a year and maybe a year and seven or eight months. We just got back together at the same time of the year. We did this. You know, we, we would meet for lunch over Christmas and then go hike together in this space. And um, so it's just remarkable that here we are, our group is together, and there comes the stall back. And we told Jim to, t- to keep it. He's one of the most skeptical of all of us. And we, we, t- Tim made it, and he want- we wanted Jim to have this have it as sort of a, a reminder that mm-hmm. of what had happened to us. Did that change Jim at all, his perspective? Well, I know that he's a knower, and I know that he has had his own experiences. I think that, you know, all of us are bonded for the things that have gone on out there in that woods together. And so um, I, think, I think it's a helpful reminder to Jim who um, is maybe of all of us, somebody who is very black and white and less explicit in their feelings. Tim and I are kind of mushy. Jim is always the guy who tries to, if something happens in the woods, he's, he wants to impeach that idea. Could it have been this? Could it have been that? Which is great. I think you need healthy skepticism and all these experiences, but he's that guy. And so um, I think that he was very touched that that we would just have this moment i mean we are just blown away i mean just blown away no other way to describe it right i mean it makes you wonder so many things you have to speculate how much of this you're going to look into but when it comes to four years and then all of a sudden his doll that he made is presented back for an opportunity for him as a skeptic to look at you kind of have to think well that was a synchronistic moment for Jim is that how you guys viewed it well I I I think we all just viewed it that after all the time that we had spent out there in that forest that they knew that we would come back together and that they trusted all of us and that they wanted us to know that they welcomed us back there 
You know, I mean, to, to, to put some finer points on this, Tim, neither of those people live near this place. Tim lives near, two, two hours away. I, I was living in another state. I mean, that we're like an, a mile and a half into the woods out there in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, you know, how do all these things come together? I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of randoms that would conclude for us. I mean, how, how do you get these things to happen at the same time? I mean, you know, I, I guess we didn't even know until the day before that we were going to get together. I mean, so I just think it's just bizarre. Just mm-hmm. What kind of theories are floating around in Andrea's head on how synchronicity works? Um, you know, this appreciation for, we'll call them the others, I call them, mm-hmm. our, our new coin term that we're utilizing around here is the tailor because there's so many tailor-made experiences for individuals. So the tailors, we'll call them, when they okay. provide these kind of experiences for individuals or groups to experience these things at certain precise times, have you what's kicking around as far as a theory on how this works? Like if we could witness this happening, if we could witness an object disappearing and appearing or apporting or deporting or coming in, I'm fascinated with people's theories on how this actually works, how it looks. Well, I mean, I know nothing more than anyone. I mean, I am just a girl who got lost in the woods and went down a rabbit hole and, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would come to these conclusions, I would have laughed you off the, I would have laughed you off the map. I mean, I, what do I think? Um, I think that we are dealing with something that is far smarter than us, has capabilities that we don't fully understand, but they are unbelievable. And magnificent, I believe that I'm being communicated with, and um, I believe these synchronicities are kind of trust things. They are very literal kind of human things that are being done for me to help me believe that what is happening to me is real. I don't believe that uh, the tailors are going to walk out and say, shake my hand. But I believe that they want me to know that I am connected to them. And I believe, I believe that I am connected to them. And, and I believe that there's a lot of like love and compassion and feelings that are very genuine in this space. I mean, I have, I have respect for what I'm dealing with and the power of what that is. And I'm hundred percent sure that I don't really understand it all. Um, but I, I believe that I'm dealing with something that is both flesh and blood and also so much more. And I believe that I have sort of opened up a sort of, portal for communication with them and um they continue to communicate with me i mean the first time i went hiking when i was teaching in florida i went out in the woods and found immediate sign just immediate sign and 
crazy things would happen to me there. The owl calling outside a condo that I lived in, just, just the owl calling. Um, one night I was reading a book, um, and I heard a native flute tone just blow in my room. Um, my dog, Labby Sue, was with me, and I was up at night reading because I had insomnia. And all at once, um, I'm reading a book about Sasquatch and native culture, and there is just a flute tone, and it's symbolic because I am a flute player, and I, I, um, but it's it's apropos of nothing. And I, when I heard this tone in the middle of the night, my dog, I thought, did I just hear that or am I crazy? And my dog low growled at the same time. It's, it's like she heard it too. You know, she experienced it too. And um, there have been other, other moments of weirdness that continue to occur. I mean, I, so I'll, I'll, I'll double back to you and, and tell you a couple of things. Um, my partner, Steve, he travels a lot. And one night I was in the Michigan home before we sold it and I was sleeping and I was awakened at about three in the morning. Things happen at 3 a.m. I don't know what that is about, but um, I was awakened and I felt like something was, I was on my side and I felt like something was holding me down along my ribs and along my side. I mean, pressing me down to the point where I just couldn't move. I was immobilized. And I, first I thought, am I dreaming? Is this just crazy? And I started to thrash trying to to get away from this almost. And I hear my dog, she's low growling again. She's sleeping in the room. So I felt like something was there with me. And um, I, I must admit that before this happened, I had had some conversations in my mind where I said, um, I invite you to come closer to me and make deeper contact. And that was too deep. <laughs> I was not ready for that kind of contact because that scared the crap out of me. My whole side was hot to the touch and i i literally sat in my bed in my little room alone in my house till the sun came up with clutching my knees because i was so wigged out and um in hindsight i don't think that that was meant to harm me um i think it was probably a, the interaction that they thought that i was ready for but maybe i wasn't um the night after that i was there alone in the house it's three in the morning. I wake up, and there's just whooping all outside of all outside my window downstairs in this house, just whooping at the same time. And I was like, "What in the hell?" I'm like, and I said, "I I told you guys to come closer to me, but you're scaring me to death. Don't do this to me." And you know, the dog was freaking out, low growling, and um, you know, these are some very close kind of interactions that have occurred. But then I've had the weird stuff like the flute tones and what have you. Um, glyphs being left outside on the steps, the owls going off and what have you. And these, these are not unique experiences. I mean, I think other people have had them and deserve them too. But I definitely feel like that I'm being communicated with and it's strange when it's only meant for me, but um, it's, it's kind of a trust thing. You know, what are you willing to accept here in your life? And I'm not quite sure anymore what I'm willing to accept. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Um, 
it's hard to live with one foot in, in regular life and then experience some of these things and be a normal person. I'm not a psychic. I am not a, um, a paranormal investigator. I'm not any of those things. I'm just, just a girl who liked the woods. Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, we have so many areas we can go to. Let's talk about glyphs for a second because sure. people misunderstand the nature of glyphs. My, you know, introduction to understanding glyphs was yes. people pointing out what I would call forest litter on the trail and saying these were, you know, unnatural signs uh, or some kind of signal of some kind. And so I, I uh, overlooked them for the longest time. But that's not what you're talking about, I imagine. You're talking about something altogether different. So explain to people what you mean by signs. Glyphs. Well, um, when you wake up and you look on your back porch and there are things arranged in a very strange way and you're like, where do they all come from? You know, pine cones, limbs and things that are shaped in an interesting shape. I mean, I've had them in different places where I've lived. I've had them beside my car door. I've, you know, they, I've had them out by my angel tree before. They're symbology that you see. I had a really cool glyph um, happen to me in November. I was out on the Olympic Peninsula. I was hiking with a friend of mine, Courtney, and we just had one day where we were in the rainforest and we just pulled our car off the side of the road. We were at Lake Quinault and we parked the car and got out and just walked into the woods, climbed through moss and you know how, that, how beautiful it is out there. And we, uh, I, I had to climb over a, some de a deadfall tree and I looked down and there under my feet, it was almost just like I was prompted to look down. There under my feet is this great glyph. And I'm like, what is that? And I took a picture and I later looked at it. And it's, it's two girls. It's us. It's Courtney and I. It's, it's like a welcome glyph. But what was really hysterical is that one of the girls is in like, um, like a balletic kind of gymnastics pose. And my friend Courtney is, was a champion, NCAA champion diver who is a, really determined yogi who does all of these crazy acrobatic poses. And so I see this glyph that looks remarkably like it could be interpreted to look like us just underfoot there. And I think that glyphs are personal. Like I think they're communication devices for people and only those people would understand them. Um, I've, I've heard other people's theories about them, but I, I would say about this latest glyph, you know, it cracked me up because in the middle of a rainforest, driving around in the middle of the day, we decide to park and hike in this random spot and we go out there and, and under my feet, it's just almost like something said, look down, look down. And there it was. And um, I think that was meant for us. I think it was meant, it was the welcome wagon. It was like, hey girls, we know your intention. We know you're here in the woods. And We've left something to let you know, but um, I think the glifting is just super beautiful. And I think the the symbolism that we see out there, the asterisks that we found, find, 
I found them in Michigan. I found them in Florida. I found them here in Kentucky. It's the same symbol all over. I've seen them out there in your neck of the woods. Um, the the A's, the letter A's that are like a star A that you see made the same symbology. I mean, and and then the other things like the tree pullovers, the jammed limbs, and that kind of thing. I mean, I you know I found a I found a really cool teepee structure back in December in Michigan um, uh, when we were out there before. It's it's the same visual that my friends see in British Columbia and Oregon and wherever. I mean, they're all so interconnected around the country. It's um, shocking and amazing. When you're out, um, do you record at all? Are you interested in having... Uh you know, some kind of record of events? Do you film, do you do other things like this? Sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. I have intermittently videoed things. Um, you know, we videotaped our trackways and we took pictures of those, took pictures of the dolls when we put it up there and we took a picture of the doll when we found it. I mean, I sometimes I'll say that I have been in the woods and I will hear that small voice saying, take pictures, just shoot all around you. Mm-hmm. And I just shoot with my camera in a, in a 360. I just go and take pictures. And then I'll examine those pictures. And I found some things. Some friends have found some things, faces, mm-hmm. peekers, mm-hmm. those sort, sorts of um, odd images that are, you know, they're not the Patterson-Gimlin film, but um, they're enough to where I can look on my put them on my computer and dig in and say, um, I suspect I was not alone. You know, I mean, that's, I've taken pictures intermittently. I don't film all the time. I don't have a, a back camera on me all the time. Um, I'm to the point now, I'll just say that um, I almost always know when I'm not alone. I feel presence there. Um, and and I, 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 I typically just know. Um, when we were up in Mammoth Cave, I was sitting there with Daniel and um, I felt vibrations under my feet. Not like an earthquake vibration, just subtle vibrations. And um, I felt sure we weren't alone. And, you know, we get the typical things. You get the howls and the clear wood knock and all those things, but I don't really do anything. I'm not the kind of researcher who puts up trail cams or uh, electronics. Um, I don't, I typically don't knock on trees and I don't, I don't really howl. I mean, occasionally I've done those kinds of things, but that's really not my thing because I always feel like the minute I get in a forest and, and it's dark and blah, 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 blah. Um, I know that I'm going to be received, that I'm not going to be alone. It doesn't take very long to have that feeling. I I feel like there are watchers, you know, um, that are around and know. I, I, I I have this theory that once they know that you know, they are always accessible to you. Like they're around. There's presence around you. Once they know that you know and that your intentions are right, I think I think they are there. 
Yeah, and the reason I asked you about breaking out a recorder or cameras, your journalist instincts, they must kick in during certain times. I mean, that's what you're doing. That's what you're teaching as a career. So for you to turn that off and under the, you know, observation of something so fascinating with so many, you know, curveballs being thrown at you, that temptation I would think would be within you, but you're, you're talking about this, you know, almost under a shaman type terms, which is um, a unique position for a journalist to be in. So how has this changed you as a journalist? You know, um, I don't ever want to write something that I don't know, like me personally, that I don't know if it's true. Um, I don't want to rely on someone telling me that it is true. Again, we tell kids to go out and see for yourself. If someone tells you it's raining and someone else tells you it's not raining, go outside and ask yourself, is it raining? I mean, I think that, um, I think that all of this has sort of opened my mind to the possibilities of things that I can't see. I don't feel that I need to document things. And the reason, I mean, consistently, it's like I have lots of pictures of the forest, of everything, of glyphs, yada, 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 the whole shebang. But it doesn't matter what kind of evidence that I have. People are never going to embrace this until they find it for themselves. Like you can tell people to the cows come home that this happened to you, but until you have that experience, um, it's never really going to hit you in a way um, that, that makes it all so real. So I could show you a thousand pictures of sign of ground glyphs, of pullovers, of teepee structures all over the country. And um, I, don't, I don't know that any of those things are ever going to be good enough to take people there and make people who aren't accepting to this believe it. I, I don't know until this happened to me if I would have even believed it. I mean, I still am unclear as to how I even got down this rabbit hole other than I just started reading. And I mean, before I ever said a word to anyone about being interested in this, I bet you I read, um, I mean, just thousands of pages of hominid anthropology, wildlife bi biology, and on and on and on, trying to ground myself in what I might be dealing with. And now I know, you said the journalistic sort of dichotomy here, I know that I'm not dealing with something that is exactly in a textbook or in science or any of that, I, I'm dealing with something that sort of straddles a lot of lanes. And as I said before, I mean, mm -hmm. there are so many camps in this world, you know, people who have their theories. And I don't, I don't think that my theories are any more credible than anyone's, but I believe I'm dealing with something that is flesh and blood and is not flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. And um, it's way beyond my capacity to even understand. So what am I documenting? The woods? I have a thousand woods pictures. What am I, what am I recording? A mm -hmm. howl? I've heard a million howls. I mean, I, what, what is howling to me and why is it howling? I don't know, but I know that something is knocking on my door occasionally and it's beyond all those things, you know? So I'm not sure what I am documenting other than my personal journey. Like I'm working on a book right now and it's, everyone has a Bigfoot book, but that's not, it's really not what I'm writing. Um, I am writing about my experiences, but it's sort of a memoir about 
you know, what are you willing to suspend to understand that the world is far greater than you? And do you, do you live in a headspace where you um, allow yourself to only accept things that are concrete or are you, are you evolved enough, you know, on your journey to know that um, the world that you live in is just one plane of what you see and um, the embracing of that and sort of how, how, how that has sort of come to me. And, you know, this may or may be hoodoo voodoo for some people and it may, may not be, I don't know, but I'm trying to write this down in a memoir form. My book is called A Princess Finds Bigfoot. And um, I, but it, it really isn't me trying to be um, a researcher. It's me sort of talking about the switch in my life, in my head, in my, in my consciousness, sort of my paradigm shift here as it were and um yeah it, it's just helping you to sort it out right and you don't sound uh like you're fueled by anxiousness on this journey uh you know someone who has the discipline of just the facts to report the truth to find out where truth is to go out and find out for yourself as a professor you could have gone one or two ways with this and been completely frustrated by how little there is to know. But you're in a position now where you're kind of walking, like I said, this in this shaman journey, uh, understanding something very spiritual, very supernatural um, to the nth degree, really, and uh, and walking along it uh, acceptingly. And it's it's a you know, I, I relish in this interview with someone like you that is so accepting of the supernatural, but yet has the integrity and discipline uh, of being a journalist. And um, so it's it's a very interesting interview for, for those reasons, Andrea, and I'm sure you, you must hear that all the time. Now, you've alluded to specifics, though. You've alluded to names uh, for individuals, in particular this little girl, that knows intimate parts uh, of your house. So I assume there's either some clairvoyance uh, or there's somebody in the house observing you and where you live. Um, as far as the secrets that are concerned with as far as information of Sasquatch and the things that people hold back, names are one of those things that sometimes people don't like to talk about. Is that the case with names of Sasquatch in your clan that know you? Um, I know their names. I mean, I, I, I know, I, I, I think I know their names. Um, I, I don't talk about them. I don't say them that much because they're so odd. Some of them are so odd. Um, and, you know, my little girl, her name is Regina. And um, what kind of a name is that? I've never heard that before. I even know how, how it's supposed to be spelled. And um, I don't know where it comes from. It just, it just is. And um, the names of these other people out there have sort of been revealed to me too. And um, not all of them communicate directly, um, but some of them have. And um, I, I tell you, it's very hard to just, tell somebody a regular person about this because it sounds so fanciful if just not crazy and there is that disconnect 
for a, a reporter, like, what do you believe to be real and what is not real? Who would you share this with? Because it makes you sound, frankly, crazy. And, you know, um, I don't tell a lot of people about my clan. I only tell people that I really trust because I don't expect them to accept it. Um, I, I know people who are in this world who say things and offer them up as as maxims, like this is the truth and this is how it happens. And if you don't believe this, you're you're wrong. And I think that that's a horrible approach. I think that people have to come to this. Like you, you're going to have to find yourself in this. And I believe that the more that you open yourself to these things, the more more experiences that you have. You just have to be willing to not judge what has happened to you and more so just letting this come to you. Like this continues to evolve for me over and over. And I, I stopped trying to put a finer point on it to, to try to, to, to discern what it is. I just know that it's happening to me and I consider myself sane and lucid and grounded and, and it continues to happen to me. I mean, who's talking to me? Um, this, this young Redina, I believe, has gone and lo- looked in my house. And, you know, can I prove that? No. Um, but, you know, these are specific things that have, have, I've been told that are true. The thing with my, our dog, um, you know, does she walk funny? Um, who would know, know things like that? Um, the dog, I mean... All of it put together sort of makes sense to me, but it probably wouldn't make sense to somebody else sitting out there. People would look at me and say, you're crazy. And I don't know, I don't know why you would ever say these sort of things. I have friends who tease me, you know, all the time. I know it's this Bigfoot thing. And I'm like, well, it's just so much more than the the Bigfoot thing. And, um, but I'm going to need several hours and you're going to have to suspend your reality check to even get in the middle of this. And it's taken a long time just years to get comfortable with and, you know, not, not judge it or be afraid of it. I just don't judge it. It continues to happen. So. What would you say to people that say uh, Sasquatch heel? Sasquatch what? That Sasquatch heel, that they have healing powers, healing principles. What do you say to those claims? I think that that's true. I think they are true. I, I believe that um, they are here for, with with some purposes and with some gifts. Um, I have had a number of friends who who have felt that they have experienced those healings. Um, you know, um, it's like. I, I'm a Christian person and uh, my faith is real important to me and I, I don't try to shove it down people's throats or even, you know, expose myself in that way. But I mean, I, I believe that all things come, come from one creator and those are one of those things. When people ask me, how, how can you say that this thing, mind spoke to you or did this, how can you explain orbs or how can you explain you know, these irrational things. And I will say, well, the Bible is incredibly supernatural if you pay attention to it long enough. I mean, there there are crazy, amazing, supernatural things that have gone on 
you know, in the stories of the Bible. So why wouldn't I believe that in today, um, if you're paying attention, that those things are also going on around you? So do I think they can heal? I, I think some of them can. I think some of them have those sorts of gifts. I think some of them are watchers. I think some of them are protectors. Um, yeah, I think some of them come to people to shift their their thinking, their consciousness. I think that's what some of these relationships are with people. And that sounds rather deep and weird too, but that's just what I think. I mean, and I'm not, I think maybe the difference between me and some other people is like, I'm not trying to drag you along behind me to convince you that this is true. This is just what I've experienced as true. My truth. Well, okay. Let's take, let's talk about that, that phrase, my truth. As a journalist, how do you approach a statement like that? Because there's a difference. I mean, first, there's a legal difference, right? Because you can obfuscate all sorts of things by using the term my truth. Yep. But you're, you're talking about the truth. So the, the truth, according to me, are things that concretely happen to me and that I can speak to only through my observation and experience. So that is my truth. I mean, I don't own the whole truth. But I'm saying that when I talk about these things with people, I, I try not to talk in he said, she said, they said. I'm, I'm just going to tell you what happened to me in my personal experience. And right. you can judge judge or not judge it. Um, I feel very comfortable in, in saying you know, what is and what isn't and what I do and do not know. If someone were to administer a lie detector test to me, I feel a thousand percent sure that I would pass that test. Mm-hmm. talking about what I'm talking about with you because these things happen to me. Now, what are those things? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, 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 am, I, I can put no finer point on what they were or mm-hmm. why this happened. I can only speak that they did happen to me. Right. And as a, a Christian woman, um, I imagine that you attend a church or a Bible study of some kind. Is that true? Right now, I don't attend a, a specific church, but I'm definitely still connected to my faith. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in all of those ways. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Running into a situation where you would talk to an elder or a pastor or some member of clergy and explaining to them the details surrounding your supernatural experiences, typically these things don't go well because of the fact that people that are invested in religion um, only invest in certain portions of it. They seem to invest a lot less time in the miracles and the supernatural portions of their own good books. Had that ever happened to you to where you had talked to someone who you kind of held in high spiritual regard and told them some of the details? Well, I've told friends that I hold in high spiritual regard. And um, I think that most of those friends are people that I trust, though, who who would know that I wouldn't just share a story like this as ridiculousness. But again, I don't see any of this outside of my faith tradition. Like faith is, is supernatural. It's not something you can touch. Miracles are not something that you can explain um, and 
I'm not even going to try to explain them. I'm going to accept that there are some things in this world that are, and there are some things that um, we can't we can't define. I mean, if you were an outsider and you read the Bible cover to cover, there are tons of things in there that um, a burning bush, someone walking on water, someone bringing someone back from the dead, um, you know, someone who parted an ocean. I mean, if you were to take that literally, you know, that's an eye roller. And it's, it's, it's just as much as an eye roller as someone saying, oh, you had mind speak, mind speak from Sasquatch. I mean, you know, I, I'm... I'm going to accept that there are things that have gone on in my faith tradition that I don't understand. There are things that have gone on in my actual life living here on earth that I also don't understand. I consider them miraculous, but I I don't consider them far apart. And I've never had anyone judge me or say anything to me like, oh, you're dabbling in something that is wrong or uh, a cult or, or what have you. No one has ever said that to me. Um, maybe it's because it's a little bit so far outside of my own personal paradigm that if I would, if I would share this with you, you might be a little more inclined to believe that I'm serious and I am serious about it. Um, this isn't some fable that I've created. These are just things that have happened to me. And do I understand all of them? I don't, I don't. But I don't, I don't see them outside of my faith tradition at all. Mm-hmm. Again, whatever is going on out there, you know, I think God is in it. Spirit is in it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's my rationale. Whatever I'm dealing with, whatever, whatever Sasquatch is, I believe that, you know, this is God's creation. He knew of it. He does know of it. But that's just me. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to impose that on anyone. It's just what I think. Some people claim to have messages delivered to them from Sasquatch, either in dreams or through mind speak or face-to-face communication. Has anything happened like that for you as far as something that maybe we all need to know? Um, not just a warning, you know. That's a generality that uh, Sasquatch is warning us about taking care of the planet and they're the ultimate environmentalist. But I just want to hear your perspective if that's happened to you. Well, it kind of has happened to me. And um, really, I think the biggest and broadest message is that um, we're all very connected. But you have to open your eyes to see that. We're, we're, the, we are all, all connected in a way. Um, but we, it, you have to accept things that are outside of your, of your space. And um, I definitely do feel connected to something bigger than me. Like this has been a big shift for me. Um, I'm again, loath to explain it, but I, I have been communicated with, you know, that um, with compassion and concern, like there are people out there who, who are around me because they found me and I'm connected with them. And, and I feel that I am, I mean, I'm supposed to be, I suppose. Maybe that sounds a little weird, but um, 
yeah, I have some people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And they have a weird way of connecting individuals together. Do you have yes. an individual? Yes. And in, you know what I mean by that statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have someone in your life? Uh, you, you spoke earlier about your partner. Um, not only them, but maybe a girlfriend or another guy friend that you sync up with and kind of amplify your experiences with and they're kind of your unique amplifier when you go out in the woods? I don't know that I sync up with them, but I have a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I have a group of friends who I talk with all the time who are, are people that I've been connected with through these experiences. And we, we talk almost every day um, about them and about our lives and stuff like that. But there are, there are a handful of people who, who confirm things for me if I'm, if I'm feeling this way or I feel like that I've been communicated with. I'll share that with them. And um, they are a good sounding board. They are people who are also tapped into this kind of energy. And um, I don't know, they, they are just confirmers when things happen to me. Um, I, I, I do have a, a little network on my underground network of folks that I trust. And it's a pretty small group, but um, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're very is, unusual? Is there something coming, Andrea, that uh, you feel uh, in regards to? I, you know, I, I hasten to use the word disclosure because it's so attached to one phenomenon in particular, but do you feel like there's something coming as far as, uh, a, you know, a revelation or a reveal of, of what uh, the greater message is and who they are? Well, I mean, I don't know about the greater messages, but I think it's not an accident that more people are having these experiences like more, more, it's not an accident that, that people are, are making these connections and they're very personal and very unusual and very real. I mean, we, we, you know, there's just a, I would say this, that the, the flesh and blood community, the, um, the, the people who are tree knockers and uh, trail cameras and, all of that kind of stuff going on out there. I think, and I've had some sidebar conversations with some people who are very well known in this realm, who I've just asked some kind of point blank questions. And one of them, I won't even say his name, but, um, you know, he, he's kind of a hardcore, not anti hoodoo voodoo guy. And um, I said, so be honest with me, 20 years ago is what you thought they were, what you think they are now. And he said, absolutely not. My thinking is different. I think that um, people now who have been invested in this, who've spent years in the forest, as they say, and blah, 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 are now are having their, their cages rattled a little bit because some of the, the paranormal aspects are starting to hit them squarely in the face and they're being confronted with those things and they're having to deal with them. Um, and I think that's fabulous. And I, I don't think that's an accident. I think that we're not... I believe that that these things communicate on their time and their space, and they um, they come to people as as it should be. Um, 
I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I think there are more people out there who are finding out that what they're dealing with is not, you know, some hairy beast of the forest, that you're dealing with something much more miraculous than that. And, and, and they may not talk about this publicly, but many of them are starting to talk about it privately. And I, I think that's huge, too. I think that that's the shift. I, I think we're starting to see that. And, and I think it's wonderful. It's, it's great. I don't know about any grand message that we have. I mean, I don't I know about that, but um, I'll leave that for bigger minds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we know the same people. And it's it is a little bit... Uh, the frustrating on one end of the spectrum, although you're happy the shift is happening. It's, um, it's, you know, the lack of, um, I guess, conversation that happens with the people that, you know, basically have had to eat crow on their behalf all along here. And, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of, um, I guess, just nodding your head politely and, and moving along, which is what we try to do here. And I, I understand that exactly what you're talking about as far as the grand conversation that may or may not happen here but um i kind of wonder about some kind of awakening happening uh, i don't know how that would look but um if it's connected at all to the ufo phenomena maybe these things will kind of expose themselves uh on some grand scale I crossed my fingers with that, but who knows? So, Andrew, you talked earlier about a book. Would tell us more when that's going to come out? Well, I'm still in the, in the the middle of sort of writing this. It, it evolves. I do a lot of writing projects myself, and I teach full time, and so there's not a lot of um, happy time for me to play with this. But you know, it's just something that I've been working on for maybe the last year and a half. And um, I feel like I'm about halfway through what I what I want to say, and um, you know I hesitate to talk about it because every quote unquote researcher has a book, and I just kind of giggle and I'm like, of course you do, of course you do. But I mean, I I think I'm this is a vanity project for me. I'm just writing for myself, and um, if other people read it and find it illuminating, that's great. But I just want you know before I before I move on to another realm, I just want to say. You know, I want to put it down what happened to me and and um, with the hope that someone finds, you know, connect connectivity with me and my experience. And um, again, I, I don't put myself out there as any sort of Bigfoot researcher or any kind of special person. I'm a girl who writes pretty and I'm a girl who's had some experiences and I will share those and um, take with it what you will. Um, and what was the name so, of the book again? It's called A Princess Finds Bigfoot. Okay. Now you know the name of it, folks. Keep an eye out for Andrea Billups, uh, The Princess Finds Bigfoot. So, Andrea, I appreciate you coming on and talking so forthright with all of us about your experiences. And um, I look forward to seeing you eventually out this way. And uh, hopefully we can continue this conversation. I'm coming your way this summer and I hope to see you in person and I, I appreciate the opportunity. Sometimes it feels good to have a safe space to really just share. So thanks for that. I, I'm grateful. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon, Andrea. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Well, that's Andrea Billups. Thank you again, Andrea, for talking to us about your experiences and your continued experiences. I'd be curious to see that grass doll. It sounds pretty darn familiar. <laughs> Not the grass doll, perhaps, but definitely the way it was delivered. I'm telling you, a lot of this stuff is like a genie in the bottle. And um, once you pop that cork, you ain't putting it back on. It's, uh, it's ever-present. So um, get out there and enjoy this magical world. Andrea implores you to, and so do I. Go out and find out for yourself. Be your own journalist of the facts at hand. So I'm sure we'll be talking to her down the road. Okay, coming up. Well, first of all, let's talk about what happened last week. We did an impromptu webinar, virtual webinar, because of this COVID-19 outbreak. And if you listen to the previous podcast, we covered that pretty specifically. And the feedback from Rich's discussion with me over the coronavirus uh, had mixed reviews from all of you. But for the most part, as the rains keep tightening down... The panic has its own leg, its its own virus, and uh, the panic seems to have its own power. So we are underneath government orders via the uh, governor, Governor Inslee, who has put three specific counties in Washington state under, uh, well, I guess they call them prudent uh, judicial orders, legal orders that you can have no more than 250 people in a single setting or group. So you can imagine for some of these churches, definitely more than 250, uh, certain venues, bands, uh, meetings, conferences, all of these things right now are being extra cautious up here to not break that new order brought down in the last 24 hours, I believe. So things are getting interesting around here, and um, maybe that podcast will come in handy a little more down the road. The reason, of course, we did that is if this is nothing to worry about, no big deal, but maybe these are jewels in your pockets for a future you know, scenario. So we're glad we did it. Okay, maybe you'll expect more out of me in that way <laughs> down the road. I hope I never have to do another podcast like that, but... Um, if I could stay in the woods and talk about mystical beings, I would. <laughs> but sometimes you're pulled back into society. Oh, I'm just getting a text here from the governor. Looks like we're going to um, hand out $1,000 bills on Main Street at noon. I'm sorry. That's the other podcast. <laughs> All right. If you have a strange story, get in touch with me at strangebowradio at gmail.com. And don't forget to give us those five-star reviews. That helps us out considerably. And remember, I will see you in the trees.